Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. Welcome to this Talks at GS. My name is Derek Yi. I head up the Kamad Strat Group here in uh, New York. I am honored to be joined here with or by um, Hong Kong American actor Tai Ma. Thank you. So Tai has been doing a lot of work, including on American film and um, TV, including Rush Hour, including Arrival, uh, 24. I hope you don't shoot me in the leg in a couple minutes here. <laughs> um, and then also most recently in Man in the High Castle um, and is slated for upcoming movies such as Disney's Mulan, as well as The Farewell. So I, I, I love origin stories, so let's, let's start at the beginning here. Okay. So, um, so you, you and your family had immigrated in to, to Staten Island at a very young age. Yes. How, how was that? What was New York like at that time? And yeah, how, how did that shape who you are now? Jeez, that's really far back. <laughs> Coming to America, hmm, sounds like a like the boss's song, right? Bruce Springsteen? Anyway, it was like, part of it is like the magical mystery tour and culture shock to the max. So you're talking about Hong Kong being such a densely populated, you know, uh, place. And Staten Island, you have all this room. It was kind of, oh my God. I had my own bedroom for the, for the first time. So that was the culture shock part of it, you know, um, coming from a majority uh, being one of many to one of two in my school. So that was kind of crazy. <laughs> but the magic stuff is like, um, I remember going to the movies in Hong Kong and they would have uh, these uh, shorts before the main feature. And it was the Three Stooges, Looney Tunes, like, <laughs> Bugs Bunny and, you know, Elmer Fudd. And we get to see that every day in America. It was like amazing. I was like kid in the candy store, you know? And we had our own TV in Hong Kong. You had to kind of go to these places like these uh, herbal tea parlors and watch one little TV with like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. Or some people stand on the street watching this TV. But I had my own, I said, we have our own TV. So, so I mean, in that sense was, was fantastic, you know, coming here. So it sounds like you embraced a lot of the hallmarks of America, like TV in your mm. room, watching it, mm -hmm. hopefully not spending too much time on it. Um, and so what, what was the assimilation like? What, how were your, were your parents trying to introduce the family to American culture? Were, it, was it, still remaining distinct, given that you're one of two in, in your school? Like, how did you uh, mix being um, a Chinese immigrant versus being in America? Well, my parents from the old school, you know, they, they you cannot speak English at home. That's rule number one. Because my dad said, you're gonna learn English and you're gonna forget the Chinese. So at home, so instead of, you know, we leave the Great War 
we bring the Great Wall with us, right? So we surround ourselves with Chinese. So that's one. I mean, yeah, we, we you know, all kids, kids can be cruel, right? I mean, growing up. So there are definitely some discrimination that happens, you know? And I'm not sure if it came from a vicious place because the numbers were so small. I was kind of unique. I was like one of two, right? So, I mean, how mean can you get? <laughs> so I, I think in, in that sense, uh, um, I kind of insulated myself in some way against that kind of you know, uh, uh, discrimination that, that's reaped on me. And, and I think it worked out really, I mean, now that looking back, it paid off in a big way, and yeah. we can get into that. You chose acting, you chose a, a, a film, stage and film career ultimately. Uh, what, what, uh, what, what inspired that, and what, 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 what sparked that transition, and who did you kind of look up to? Like, what, how did you set that path? Hmm, that's a, it's a, that's a lot of questions in one question. <laughs> I have to get them in. But I, I think, I think uh, um, probably the, the most important thing was, like, I remember I mentioned about, you know, I try to find a safe space for me about, against all the discrimination and stuff. You know, name calling, pulling your eyes back, you know, that, the usual stuff that we get, right? So I joined the drama club. And, and what happened was we got popular in the school. We were doing musicals like Andy Get Your Gun, Oklahoma, Hello Dolly, where I was playing Buffalo Bill, you know, Barnaby. I mean, in that, in that sense, we, we were in a safe space. And it planted the seed, really, for the future, which I didn't know, obviously. But I loved it. It, it, was, it was a time of my life. And, and of course, meeting close friends. And still remain friends till today. So. I think that idea of the safe space is so critical. Yes. It's like a, a kind of support network so you can't fail, mm. but also an experimentation to really discover who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also growing up, really, there were nobody that I'm looking up to because there are very few Asian Americans on the screen, right? So I, mean, I think Bruce Lee was probably the only exception when he was doing uh, The Green Hornet. I'm sure nobody knows that. <laughs> but anyway, so, so I think he was like the only one that I've seen like, okay, well, there's somebody who looks like me that's doing this stuff back in the day, right? So, so I never thought about it in the sense that I'm a, um, an Asian American actor. I was just an actor. So, so that kind of helped too, you know? I mean, that, I didn't have that kind of critical thinking back in the day where I said, okay, I'm an Asian American actor. So, so I think that helped too. So in that, in that context, so as an actor, mm. um, so one of, the, one of the first pieces of work that you did was uh, Cocaine Cowboys with Andy Warhol. <laughs> um, so, so how was that? Wow. This is also in memory lane here. Did your research, man. <laughs> I was prepped well. Yes. <laughs> Cocaine Cowboy was, I think, 1978. It came out in 78, and it was shot in 77, obviously. Uli Lamo was the, uh, the director. He was a wonderful um, actor. 
who worked with uh, Fassbender, who was an amazing German director. And, uh, and I had ulterior motives for that, <laughs> to be in that film, because I wasn't really interested in doing movies in, in, in television. I was interested on the stage. So I was called to say, uh, well, you know, there's a film, if you might be interested, and, and, and um, the role was called for a cook. So I went in for this audition, and somehow I convinced them that the cook is more than a cook. I said he could be the best friend, you know, to, because it was about this rock band that was smuggling cocaine into America. And I said, not only he's the best friend, but he's also the bodyguard. <laughs> he said, well, how can you be the bodyguard? What do you know? I said, I said, well, I'll show you. So, and I remember what, there was this interview of Bruce Lee. He was doing, and he kicked, like, he kicked the chandelier or something in, in some audition. So I kicked the ceiling. Wow. I had some hops, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can kick the backboard on a, it's 10 feet. I could just jump up straight up and kick it. That was back in the day. <laughs> so, so I was they, about to say, I mean, yeah, I mean, but they, up here, I'm sure. Yeah, they were impressed, you know? So I said, hmm, okay. So I got hired as the cook, best friend, and bodyguard. <laughs> and, uh, and we shot it in Montauk Point at the, uh, the church estate, which was owned by Andy Warhol. And my ulterior motive was this. I said, okay, Andy Warhol, ah, Studio 54. I get to go in the Studio 54. <laughs> that was, I really had to do this job. <laughs> so we shot it, you know, out there and, and in isolation. And I remember one day roused from my sleep at three in the morning. And it was the Nassau Police Department, Nassau County Police Department. And they had surrounded the entire compound. And this is Andy Warhol's estate. This is Andy Warhol's estate, okay? So, I mean, they confiscated three duffel bags of cocaine, $175,000 in cash for the production. And I tell you, when we looked out there and see all the wonderful, you know, law enforcement folks, you see promotions happening. <laughs> The patrolman's thinking, you know, sergeant, sergeant's thinking, lieutenant, lieutenant's thinking, captain, because it's a big bus, right? You figure all these famous people, and then it turned out with three bags of powdered sugar. <laughs> the cash was real, though. <laughs> cash was real. So that was kind of over the weekend, and they had to return everything on Monday. So, so that, that was fun. I mean, we had a good time shooting that movie. <laughs> Pretty interesting. So, so, and you had been uh, in a film, filmed on uh, Warhol's estate, gotten busted for powdered sugar, um, <laughs> ruined the career paths of a bunch of lieutenant yes. sergeants. Is there a point at which you feel like, hey, I've made it, or is that more of a gradual process? Um, hmm. That's an interesting question. I never thought of it that way, making or not making. I was working, and I was doing a lot of theater in New York City. I mean, I was having the time of my life. I mean, it was rough because we didn't get paid much. <laughs> so, so I kept my needs to a minimal, you know, it was like, yep. don't get the big apartment, you know, there are no cars, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. So, so it's okay. Uh, but I knew that from the get, that I wasn't gonna make a lot of money. But I'm loving what I wanted to do, so I kept on doing it, right? And then, I mean, 
no, I never, in, in any part of my life where I said, you know, I made it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm it, I'm the thing. No, <laughs> never thought about it. Yeah. So you had referenced that in, in between these movies, you've been doing a lot of stage mm. as well. Um, so how does it interplay? Um, you're, you're currently a great, a big supporter of indie um, acts and films. Mm. Like, how does that support of the stage, training from the stage, influence how you think about um, think about your career now? Mm. I think the stage was really uh, uh, pivotal, you know, in, in who I am today, because I was able to do a place about us. Whereas in a movie back in the day, you, the opportunities are very limited. Yeah. So I got a chance to do two plays by this young uh, um, Asian American playwright named David Henry Huang. Yeah. And uh, his first play was FOB, and second play was The Dance in a Railroad, which was written for myself and another actor named John Lone. I mean, if you haven't seen John Lone, you know, his work. See The Last Emperor, you'll, you'll see how great this, act, this actor is, really. So, so in that sense, we were able, we, you know what, what's crazy is that because I wasn't doing film and television, I wasn't a, you know, these minor characters, I was in principal roles. I was doing leading characters. And, and it never left me. I mean, I, I think it, 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 um, um, it developed a sense of, there's a, a particular attitude that you go into work as you know someone who's in the in the leading role as, a, as the supporting role. So really, in those those play environments were really important, and they were they were groundbreaking because before that there weren't that many Asian American plays to to begin with. Yeah. So so in that sense, I think and personally, this is my personal feeling about acting and and for actors, is that I think. All actors should do some stage. And, and I think that would be helpful to you because you get a sense of continuity in the play. Whereas film and television, you, know, you could be shooting the ending today. First day, you know, finish with photography, you're shooting the end. So I think it's difficult for young actors to find their arc on where the, uh, the character lies in terms of where that scene is, right? Yep. But in a play, you get to rehearse from beginning, middle, and end and you get to perform it that way. So you have a sense of where you are in these projects. So I think it's important for actors. So you had mentioned when you first uh, started acting, mm. um, there are very few role models or Asian American role models uh, for you to look up to. Now you're on the other side. Um, and what is the, what is the, uh, you have the opportunity to be a role model and to provide mentorship. Like, how, how does that network work? Do you have folks that are coming up to you and uh, interacting with you as somebody that they've looked up to, or how, how, does that, how does that really play out? All the time, which is great. I mean, I, I, I try to mentor as many people as I can, you know, because I think it's important. You also have, always have to understand what's, what's, where's the talent pool, the pipeline coming up and where we're gonna be in the present. So there's always some kind of a scheme of things, right? Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, because I was so fortunate to have some really great mentors in my day. So I need to, as they say, pay it forward. Yeah. You know? And, and, and um, really, uh, my mentor was Marco. 
amazing, you know, uh, Asian American actor, first one nominated for the Oscars for the Sand Pebble for Best Supporting Actor. Um, gave up his day off to teach acting in Chinatown in New York when he was on Broadway on his day off, the only day off. So, so that kind of dedication and passion, you know, is something that it was instilled in me because I, will, I was fortunate enough to have his mentorship, right? So I like to pay that forward. So any young actor who come up and talk to me about things, I'd be happy to, to you know, to let them know, I mean, some of my experiences. And, and hopefully they will make their right choices in what they're gonna do. And so how does that influence the roles that you take and also the roles that you see other, or that are scripted for mm -hmm. other Asian Americans? Like, do you define success as a, quantity thing, a quality thing, a combination of the two? I think both is important. Quantity and quality is important. And quality is, is bar none. That's the most important. You just don't want to do stuff out there and then people say, oh my God, I can't watch this, right? So you really have to, quality is paramount. Quantity is important because Asian America is a multicultural, multi-ethnic society. So we need many voices out there. We need, voices need to be represented. You can't just have one voice. And, and, and somehow, this is the case right now, kind of, it's a little better, but it used to be like one show on TV. And every Asian American is like, that show sucks because it doesn't represent me, which is true, right? It never really represented them, but. So hopefully, you know, we're able to get diverse voices out there that represents us, so that everyone in the room can say, okay, I know a little bit more about who this guy is, right? So, so those things are important, you know? And what we do, yeah, you know, I'm, I tell you, selecting roles is, is I'm, I'm kind of funny that way. I don't know other people do it or not, but I'm very discriminate. I always look at something and go, okay, um, a lot of writing, in, particularly for television, is not really that good, unfortunately. It's better. Obviously, it's better. And, 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 and you look at the demographics of the Writers Guild of America, it's pretty much 85% um, middle-aged white American male. So writing story for women, writing story for minorities, you know, these things are a little harder for them to understand. So I, I take this approach. I walk into a room and I approach it as a professional actor and I'm doing my job. So for me to do my job properly, I need to have all the answers. Because if I don't have the answers, I can't really do my job. So, but what the great thing about this business is that everybody's got a pretty big ego and everybody seems like, oh, think they know they have the answers. And they always open by saying, do you have any questions? I said, oh yeah, matter of fact, I do. I have some questions. And, and, and somehow, by asking those questions, you get a sense, they get a sense of where they are. You know, and say, okay, well, Vietnamese name, originally from Cambodia, coming to America, being pursued by the Tongs, that Chinese, Vietnamese, and Cambodian. That can't be the same guy. So, so somehow you have to make some decisions, right? On who this guy is. So, so you, but I, and, 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 to, and also you better have the answers. If you're gonna walk into a room and ask questions, 
have some answers. Don't just ask the questions. Have some answers. And say, oh yeah, you know, I, I can solve this problem. Yeah, he's Vietnamese name, you know, Vin, but he's ethnic Chinese Vietnamese. So he's a boat person, he went to Cambodia, but it was like a little stop over there because he was like, he's a boat person, right? So they get to come to America since he was ethnic Chinese Vietnamese, so he got in a little trouble in Chinatown, so the towns are chasing after him. Oh my God, we got a story, holy. So, you know, so, I mean, I think it's, it's like, you need to be a, a uh, artistic contributor. I think you need to be a participant. So Mulan is coming out next year. Yeah. Um, you've also got The Farewell coming out mm -hmm. later on this year, in a couple months, actually. Um, and over the past year or two, you've just had Crazy Rich Asians. So what, what has been, um, given, like, those are not the only three, but given, given the arc of those three, like, how is your, do you, do you feel like um, there's been a change in terms of uh, Asian representation and Asian perception, or do you feel like there's more to go? Like, where, where do we where do we stand in that in that transition that you're going for? Uh, well, changing perception is really, I mean, that's the key, right? I mean, yep. so it never stops. It's it's a it's an ongoing education that we all have to be a part of, you know, because things change. So the farewell, you know, opens nationwide July 12th. You know, and it's about, you know, a family, an, a, an Asian-American who goes home to, to, in China, to China, because grandma's sick. Grandma's got terminal cancer. But they decided not to tell her. So, hence the movie opens say, uh, with this line. This story's based on an actual lie because they never told her she had cancer. And this was 2012 or 13 that this, this is true, you know, this is a true story. And today, grandma's still alive. <laughs> I'm not kidding, this is real, this is true. So you have this kind of story, right? I mean, I think, I think you, you guys are gonna enjoy this story. I mean, it's like, bring tissues. <laughs> I mean, you will cry and then you will laugh with tears, really. I mean, it's one of those dramedies that, that's just unique in, in its own right. Yeah. And then on August the 8th, on Netflix, is um, Wu Assassins that, right. that I'm in, involved with. And you guys are going to have to tune in for that because it's a martial arts fantasy, sci-fi, you know, all roll into one. So it's really kind of entertaining. However... The difference is that it takes place in San Francisco Chinatown. And often when you see these, these martial arts fantasy, sci-fi-ish things, Chinatown's just a backdrop, right? But in Wu Assassins, it's not. In Wu Assassins, we actually talk about the people who live, make their livelihood in Chinatown, and that it is a community yeah. that people live in. It's not just a bunch of tourists running around, you know. <laughs> so, so really, that's important. I think, I think, and it's worth your attention because the character I play happens to be a, be a Vietnam vet. Never talked about, really, or seldom talk about, that Asian Americans were actually in the Vietnam War on the U.S. side. <laughs> Instead of we're the enemy all the time. This is what you see a lot, right? I mean, Hunter Hilton and you know, all these movies that, that we're always the enemy, but we're not. 
So, so, so that's important. I mean, that's yeah. a step that we, we take, you know, in terms of, you know, of giving diverse voices to, to, to who we are. You had mentioned the comment about Chinatown not just being a backdrop, mm -hmm. but a character, part of the, part of the storytelling. Uh, but you had also mentioned Netflix. So how, how is the company from a actor and content creation perspective? Do, is it like corporate money coming in or is there like a strong DNA um, that resonates with the acting community? Man, I'm telling you, Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV, all of it's, it's, it's changing the, the, really the, the, the paradigm of, of this business, really, really does. It gives us actors a lot of, of, of access. That's really important. I think they also realize the power of the Asian American market. 20, almost 23 million Asian Americans now. Because back in the day when I came, they were allowed 105 per annum. So you can see the difference, right? Um, we spent a trillion dollars in 2018. A trillion dollars. We like to spend money. <laughs> and the contrary believe that we like to save money, but we actually like to spend a lot of money. So that's important to know, right? Yeah. And, and I think Netflix, no. We also have the highest connectivity to the internet. We subscribe to all of these streaming services. 139 million people for Netflix subscribers, global. Think of those numbers, man. That's crazy. It's like, I know you guys know numbers. So that's why I'm bringing the numbers up. But really just, just uh, uh, it allowed, and they, they also are understanding the fact that the paradigm of the business also changed in this way. It used to be all the creative content and stuff uh, from America was 65% domestic and 35% foreign. Completely opposite now. Today, it's 65% international, 35% domestic. That's how powerful, you know, that change is. And content is going to make a difference. So, so we have to look at those things and say, why is there why, are they, why is there a Wu Assassins on Netflix? You know, this martial arts fantasy sci-fi thing? Because the international market, they want this. Because it's easy to translate. You know, you don't have to worry about understanding exactly what you said. You know, the American culture, you know, being exported, not in words, but in action. So, so that's powerful. So you know that that's gonna, ch I mean, you talk, oh, I just, I did another film for Netflix called Tiger Tail for Alan Yang, who's the creator of Master of None. You know, he won an Emmy for that, right? So he's producing, directing, and, and also acting in the movie, Tiger Tail, about you know, Taiwanese American families. Yep. And, and you're talking, what, in the span of one year, Asian American women in the directing chair powerful stuff that I think it needs to be recognized. Yeah. I mean, the, the last time I worked with a woman, Asian-American woman writer-director was 2006. But since 2017 till now, I've worked with four. That's great. Unbelievable. And I'm, I'm like ecstatic. I was like so happy because they bring a different sensibility to what we do. So that's, that's really exciting. 
Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been, it's been my pleasure. Hi, thank you. This podcast was recorded on May 22nd. 2019. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.